When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The ensuing show will change, transform, and otherwise alter you. Good luck. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you wanna make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of oh, all in the name of oh, all in the name of oh. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. This is your host. Dr. Randall. And first, a confession. We do our best to stay chronological on the show, but King's body of work is nothing if not overwhelming, and sometimes stuff slips through the cracks. Kingdom Hospital was released in 2004, meaning we probably should have covered it around the time we were covering books like Song of Susanna from a Buick 8 and Dreamcatcher, and in many ways it serves as a kind of capstone for the post-accident era. Maybe one of the strangest and darkest darkest in his career. Anyways, we are here to correct that now with an episode about the 2004 ABC haunted hospital drama, Kingdom Hospital, which we've learned is incredibly difficult to watch in this day and age. But first, allow me to introduce my fellow healers. Dr. Jen, say hello and tell me, do you have any funny hospital stories? Hi, this is Jen. Uh, I also faint at the sign of blood, um, Adams. And I don't know if I have any funny hospital stories. Um, I yeah, have I have some... a backup question because, you know, hospitals <laughs> aren't necessarily known for funny stories. They're not. Well, I will say I am um, when I was after I just had my first kid, my um, uncle came with his family to um to just visit us. And, you know, of course, that's when she needs to eat. So I asked him to go sit outside in the hall while I like took care of that business, and then just forgot. So he (laughs) just was like, in the hallway for a lot much longer than he should have been. I still feel guilty about it. So I apologize, Uncle Richie. Um, But my mom was a nurse, like she's worked at Vanderbilt Hospital since like before I was born. So That has come in very handy sometimes. Like she pulled strings when I was having babies so that I could actually get in a room. And I like, I don't know, I've spent probably more time at a hospital than most people that don't have like chronic illnesses. So, Mm -hmm. you know, nothing wacky comes to mind, but, you know. I uh, Speaking of fainting at blood, in another life, I might have been a good hospital worker because 
I am, if there is one thing in this world that I'm good at, it is donating blood. Oh, I, oh, I can't do it. I will die. I've got O-neg. Ooh, I got I got gold in my donor. veins. Yeah, gold <laughs> in my veins. They are always on my ass. And I am always happy to oblige because it is a gift that I was born with and I must share it with others. But I not scared of needles and my butt, my blood pumps out like like a geyser. It is. Oh, God. <laughs> they and they lo- they love me at the blood place because they are like, man, it moving, you know, like it's Randall. Have you ever given plasma? Oh, I give it all. I give Ooh. it all. I, uh, that's, that's wonderful. I cannot. So I feel like you're, but doing I also the work for my, me. my real talent though, is I, 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 they take all that blood out of my body. I get up and I'm ready to go, man. Like, really? I, am, I mean, a snack is good. Some water, uh-huh. but I, you know, Thursday I gave blood. I gave double red cells, which is, you know, one of the better. It's like a little more a bit involved of a process, but, mm-hmm. um, but that's what I do because that's the most useful. And, I literally did it at nine in the morning, went to work, worked a whole day, you know, did a bunch of shit at night. It's like I am I am supernaturally good at giving blood. This is wow. the one thing in my life I will brag about is I, uh, but I'm also not scared. Like I I will when when my wife and I first started dating, I sent her a photo of like my blood bag because I thought it was funny and she <laughs> was so mad at me. And so now I always kind of threaten to send her photos of my blood. Uh, like a uh, Skarsgård on Succession, you know. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. I so anyways, cannot do it. I yeah. like feel like I can't do the podcast anymore because you just talk so much about <laughs> blood. <laughs> Sorry if I triggered anyone. I oh no, no, you're good. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that you have that skill because it is it is a, it is a great skill. Julia, yeah. say hello, Doctor Julia. Say hello and tell me, uh, do you have any funny hospital stories? Lacking that, are there any hospital TV shows that you are also a fan of? Okay. Uh, so, hi, I am Julia. Andrew McCarthy is my love. Marcassi. <laughs> um, and, okay, so the thing is with me, so you all know I have a Horror Movie Survival Guide, another podcast I do, right? And I've been doing it for three, three, 350 episodes. I've been a horror fan since I was 11 years old. Like, I'm hard fucking core. Mm-hmm. I can watch any gory horror movie you put in front of me. It's fine. And I love it because and I love to like watch it the whole thing and like I never turn away because like I love the artistry of it Mm -hmm. it's so beautiful what they've created and like really to discuss people it's very I love it but my brain has this weird switch where if it's war related gore or medical related (laughs) gore I can't do it it makes me fucking repulsed and it's I can't figure it out because I'm like it's the same I understand it still makeup still artistry still the whole thing but I can't so there was good portions of this. I was like, oh, fuck. It's like, I've, ne- <laughs> I've never watched ER. I will not watch any of the, like, it just, it's upsetting to me. Yeah. So there was a lot of, I was like, oh, there was so much. I, I never turn away from everything, but there was so much of this. I was like, I can't fucking watch this brain surgery. Oh. It's killing me. Oh, yeah. Uh, the skin peeling back from the skull, like, that's the thing. Can Ooh. I just ask why it's okay to have that kind of gore at that level on television, but not the kind of, like, guts horror gore? That's not okay. Yeah. Why are they different? The rules For are science. very bizarre. Yeah. It's because, yeah, I guess like, it's like about, how Because like, they... like, like, we know, like, Stephen King doesn't quite work on TV because you can't get that gore. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm like, well, why can't you get it? Why is that not allowed? It's the same as, like, watching people get surgeries is fucking gnarly. Like, yeah. that's yeah. gross. It's patriarchy. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like watching. It's like how they show you, you know, childbirth videos in school and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Which, oh, there's there's some gnarly shit that happens there, too. I, I, I will say. Oh, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, I grew up, like, I, I 
I uh, matured the day that I was forced to watch that quicker than I may have liked. <laughs> we yep. had to watch Blood Runs Red on the Highway where they mm-hmm. just showed you fucking terrible car accidents to scare you. And it was like, yeah, terrible. Mm-hmm. To show real death good. to kids. Jesus. I did love ER, though. Like I was. Did you? That was my show. Like I would even watch it on summer break when I was teaching. I would get up and like like <laughs> cycle my whole day around the two reruns that played on TNT in the morning because they were also playing Dawson's Creek reruns. And so oh, that man. was that and going to the pool were my summer plans. So that is a that sounds like a dream summer. It I, was I, nice. One time I was like, oh, so this really cool thing happened to me today. And I started telling my friend the story of this like really important day. And it was something that happened on ER because I had gotten to the season finale. And she was like, that's not your life. <laughs> that was like me people. during the season five finale of The Shield. I like <laughs> I, I I had tied it way too closely with my identity. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. anyways, uh, yeah, I've never been able to get into hospital shows. It's never been my bag. I remember I wanted to get into ER because I was a big Crichton head, but I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, there's no spaceships. There's no dinosaurs here. Um, I'm <laughs> struggling with this show, but, <laughs> but yeah, it was um, the show I do want to watch. That is like, I think a semi-hospital show is The Nick. Have you guys watched that? The uh, Clive Owen? Interesting, but I tried to watch the first episode and I was like, I'm going to do it for Clive Owen. And I was like, so interesting. You get this Victorian surgery theater and the whole bit and that's super cool. And then I st- they started with the surgery. I was like, nope, <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't do that. it. Yeah, my yeah. dad's the same way. Like needles, he can't do needles at all. And uh, mm-hmm. and I, I do struggle with that a little bit like on film. But I think just over the years, giving blood as much as I have, I think I've really just gotten used to needles. So sorry, Jen is cringing. No, you're fine. <laughs> um, so the, oh, can I ahead, talk Julia. about the first yeah. time I gave blood? Because I gave blood because I was terrified to give blood. I'm sorry, Jen. But <laughs> it's the it's them tapping on your veins before they do it that makes me want to yak. <laughs> and um, so I forced myself to do it because I was terrified. And I was so terrified that I went into hysterical laughter and laughed the whole time. Like yeah. I couldn't stop. And it was this terrible like fear response. <laughs> and people thought I was real fucking weird because I'm over there just like it sounded it sounded like I was insane. And I was like, that was I did it though. <laughs> they filled you with they filled you with the Joker drug from the first Batman movie. I um, wonder if they're just pumping you full of shit, Randall. It's like they're putting like little compound V in the blood. And yeah, that's why you feel so good. After. I won't go into details, but I do have like giving blood horror stories because nope, I've done it so much. Please. I know that's the uh-huh. thing is I've mm-hmm. like I can't talk about it with anyone because it is so <laughs> viscerally upsetting. Because mm-hmm. when they fuck cool. up when you're given blood, it nope. is uh, is unique. <laughs> It's like the softest parts of your body. It is a unique kind of violence is all I will say. So I, I will, I will move on from that. I will just say, um, (laughs) let's pivot. Let's pivot. Yeah. Let's talk about kingdom hospital. How, how aware were we of this show? Um, like Julia, let's start with you. Was this a show that you were aware of when it was on or was it something you learned about later? So I'm not much of a TV kind of girl. I have Mm -hmm. a few shows that I'm into, but really I don't watch a lot of it. It's I'm really movie focused mm-hmm. so there's not a lot of tv shows that i can be like you know i'll be like twin peaks i've watched the whole thing life on mars russian doll like these very specific ones but generally no so i was vaguely aware because of andrew mccarthy who as i mentioned uh, a big fan of and so i was like oh andrew mccarthy but then it was like a hospital show and i was like mm, i don't know and i also for i think i can't remember the last time i had like tv on my tv yeah. Like my TV is only used for watching movies. And yeah. so I haven't had network television year. Like I can't even tell you how long. So I just kind of missed stuff. Um, so this was I was very excited to do this. I was like, sweet, now I have an excuse to watch the whole thing and like really pay attention and it'll be super fun. And now that, you know, I'm mega 
read everything, get all the references, girl. Like it, the the the, the references delight me to know to to the core. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Julie, did you watch this via Daily Motion? Yes. Yeah, that was the only way I could find to watch mm-hmm. it. So, I mean, unless you're going to pay like $40, $50 for a DVD, which we, you know, we're not going to do that. So, yeah. uh, but it's not streaming anywhere. You can't rent it. You can't buy it on and digital purchases. So, you know, this is, it's a unique situation where it's one of those things that our sort of reliance on streaming, uh, it can in some ways eradicate, like, you know, our, the abolishment of like physical media, or at least the reduction of it, uh, impacts shows like this, which are these little curios. And to get them, you have to find these weird rips. I mean, you know, uh, there is the chance, the off chance that it could surface somewhere. I know when we covered Rose Red on the show, the way I watched it was via the internet archive. Um, I love the internet archive. Yeah. So that was, that's always the first place I go when I can't find anything, but I could not find Kingdom Hospital on, um, on the internet archive, but I did find it on, or YouTube, but I did find it on Daily Motion, which is, you know, a site I haven't used in like 10 years, which is, you know, where you can get some rips of old stuff. And so, yeah, the versions we were watching were definitely not the highest quality, um, but it did allow us to watch them. So that is good. Um, Jen, how about you? Kingdom Hospital, was this a show that you were aware of at the time? It was. Yeah. I don't think I was a day one watcher of it, but I know I watched some of it. I think I may have, I believe this was around the time I had TiVo, which we talked a little bit about in the Salem's Lot <laughs> episode. So I believe like it would have been on my radar because I, I do watch TV a lot. And I, you know, of course, Stephen King, but this was also, I think in my kind of Stephen King dead zone, if you will, where I wasn't Same. really, yeah, you know, keeping, keeping too much track. It was also in my, uh, my drinking days. So I was not like, I think I watched some of it, but I don't remember very much of it. I remember, I think, starting to watch it around the time it got canceled. Yeah. So, but it was also, I think, the time when you didn't necessarily watch TV from the first episode all the way through. You kind of just started to check in on the episode that was airing as soon as you decided to watch it. You know. Yeah. So this was that was part of it. You know? This was an interesting show in that. You know, The Sopranos had blown up. HBO mm-hmm. kind of peak TV, or well, the beginnings of peak TV was really starting to take shape. And, you know, we're going to talk more about this in depth because King talks about it specifically. But what's unique about this show in the realm of network television is that, you know, it was written um, by a very small team, King. And I believe um, I have his name somewhere. It's like... Uh, uh, Doolin, some R- Richard Doolin, I believe was his like co-writer and they, uh, Richard Dooling, and they basically wrote the vast majority of it. And I think they probably had a few other writers, but it was a really small team and it is very Twin Peaksy in that mm-hmm. it was, you know, I consider sort of like Richard Dooling, the Mark Frost to Stephen King's David Lynch here. And there's mm-hmm. more connections in that realm we'll talk about shortly, but, but yeah. And then, uh, Craig Baxley who directed, um, Rose Red and Storm of the Century also directed every episode of this show, which that was really rare back then for like, Mm -hmm. and now we consider that to be a sign of quality when one director commits to like an entire series. Um, What was the show I just watched where that was the case? I don't know. That's just, it's like a big trend right now where the, if you can get a really tight creative team, that's all working together. Cause that wasn't the standard, you know? Yeah. Like, Like Flanagan does. Yes, exactly. Get, and like Pablo Loren with um with Lisey Story. Lisey Story, also, which King yeah. also wrote all those episodes. Mm-hmm. So that's a good, those are good comparisons. And so, but, and there was a really strong emphasis, obviously, on the, uh, you know, 
the storytelling to carry through from episode to episode. It wasn't necessarily meant to be a procedural, although there are procedural elements. So, Mm -hmm. and yeah, this was around the time when television was changing, but I'm not sure that ABC was perhaps the right venue for it. I think more people wanted to, I think when you go watch something on HBO, you're like, well, I should watch it from the beginning. Like, whereas on network television, you're right, Jen, it's like you pop in, you see how it's doing. Is this episode pulling me in? You feel like you're going to be able to tap in no matter what episode you watch. And I think with Kingdom Hospital, that may have not have been the case, which may have contributed to its, you know, rough ratings dip, which we'll talk more about. So, yeah, let's get into the details in a section we call the Dairy Public Library. If you see- Excuse me, sir. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do? Well, you better let the poor guy out. Yo, Mike Hanlon said I had to go. Said I had to get cleaned up. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him I'll see him tonight. Get out. Last chance, don't you? Get out. Get out. What you got? Excuse me, man. All right. So Kingdom Hospital, a 13-episode television series based on Lars von Trier's The Kingdom, which was a Danish uh, miniseries that was, I believe, five or six episodes. And then they- Do you have the connection? How did that happen, Lars von Trier and Stephen King? I will get to that. I have- Okay, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. No, no, no. It is interesting. And um, have you guys, any of you guys watched The Kingdom? I've always wanted to. I've heard no, so it, I think it's also similarly kind of hard to find, but it just had a re or third season. It had a it Twin Peaks on- style twenty years later season. Yeah, yeah, with Scars Guards. <laughs> yeah, Amazon, I think. Um, Is it? It's on, on something big or movie uh, something. Movie that, that, uh, M-U-B-I, that's, that's where it's at. Yeah. That's it. Also known as Rige, I believe. Yeah. Yes. And actually, I looked title. for it yesterday to be like, okay, well, I've watched this one and now I'm going to like, let me check out the first episode of the, of the other one. And I was like, I just can't bear it. <laughs> 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 Not that I, I don't want to watch the Danish Lars von Trier version, but just after going through the 13 episodes of this, I'm like, I can't Need a break. watch this again. Yeah. yeah. I hear that. So I'm sure it's great. I lo- you know, Von Trier, you know, he's quite a quite a director. He's just he the the pairing of them seems very uh, unlikely. Very, very, very unlikely. Uh but yeah, okay. So it was initially conceived as a miniseries, later changed into a regular television series. They absolutely envisioned it seeing something that would run for years like ER. Uh, it was produced by uh, Mark Carliner, who also worked with King on the Shining miniseries in 97-1, Storm of the Century, and Rose Red. So they had a long relationship with ABC, and ABC was really high on this collaboration because, you know, I think for Rose Red's, you know, middling quality, it was a huge hit. Storm of the Century was a huge hit and also really good. Like, um, mm-hmm. I think we we were all really big fans of it when we when we did our episode on it. So and you know so yeah Baxley it was a good it was like a established relationship with these guys with the network and they saw it as a chance to sort of capitalize on you know this uh budding uh prestige TV world obviously that wasn't a phrase at that point but people were noticing stuff like the Sopranos. So I think this is neat uh as with Rose Red, there was a prequel novel that was released to help gin up interest in the lore. It was called The Journals of Eleanor Drews, My Investigation of the Kingdom Hospital Incident. And it's credited to the character, who uh, Eleanor Drews, uh, who is the psychic played by Diane Ladd in the series. But it was written by Richard Dooling, who was, you know, uh, the King's co-writer. And... Uh, yeah, it's interesting because like with um, Rose Red, they had Ellen Rimbauer, like it was like the diaries of Ellen Rimbauer. Mm-hmm. And that was ended up having been written by a different writer. It wasn't Stephen King, but it was kind of marketed as like they I think they wanted to put into people's brains like maybe King did write this, you know, uh-huh. and I did. They did that with this as well. But um, 
but yeah, it was sort of a neat little. Um, are they available to they read? Did. Oh yeah, they are. Yeah, uh, you can... I've got the Ellen Rimbauer one. Nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, they're on Amazon uh, and elsewhere, so you can still find them there. I think like the hardcover was like fifteen bucks on Amazon, so you know it's affordable. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, so it aired on ABC March third, two thousand four. Concluded on July fifteenth, two thousand four. It was put on hold during the NBA playoffs, which probably was not fun. Fun, uh, and it was not renewed for a second season because ratings really, really went into the toilet. But let's talk about the background a little bit. Um, a lot of this is called from a New York Times profile, not really a profile, but just a you know big sweeping piece about the show, interviewing King. And uh, I'm just going to read some sections from it because there's some really interesting stuff here. This all started when uh, Mark Carliner and King were working on The Shining and they were in Colorado. They were uh, basically, I think they were on an off day or something. They spent a bored afternoon in a video store rummaging through bins of obscure titles and found a five-hour Danish television movie called Kingdom, written and directed by Lars von Trier. Uh, Mr. King took the tapes back to his hotel room and was immediately captivated by what he watched. Seven years later, he has fused that material and the visceral experience of his accident into a work that he described as, quote unquote, the thing I like best out of all the things I've done. I feel Damn. like King, I feel like he was saying that a lot around this time yeah. <laughs> about stuff, which is going to speak to, I think the state of King between 1999 and 2005, which uh, is what I've, come to call like the post-accident era. And we've talked a lot about that. I know, Jen, you and I specifically have talked a lot about that era. And mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about that more later on because I think that's where I find the series most interesting is, is as one of the seminal texts of post-accident era. Yes. Um, so let's see here. Mr. King, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that takes in an awful lot of territory with a writer of so many books and previous original works for television, but King said it in all seriousness, citing this as the first time he has written what amounts to a complete original novel for television, 15 hours worth, and the first time he has adapted someone else's work rather than his own. I do take slight issue with them saying it's the first complete original novel for television because, Jen, what did we watch? A few years we ago. We just watched uh oh god, what did we watch a few years ago? Golden Years. Golden Years, that's right. Oh, well, I mean Well, it wasn't you really can finished be forgiven either. Or <laughs> ignoring that, yeah. Julia, do you know Golden Years? I haven't watched Golden Years. I haven't watched Storm of the Century. I haven't watched Rose Red. Uh oh, man. so I'm telling you, my TV uh, stuff. It's great that there's never I'm not gonna run out of Stephen King. Yet, I know, right? Right? Like <laughs> the, I might true. run out of books, but like the movies I can still go, the TV shows I can still go. So they're great relics. It's like, um, uh, and Rose Red is on Hulu now. That's what I was kind of getting at earlier. Because when we watched it, I it was like on Rose the archive. Red. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I have a soft spot for it. And then um, uh, Storm of the Century is genuinely great. And I think that is also on Hulu. If not, it's on YouTube. But yeah, um, but that's, that's an interesting connection with um, Golden Years, because I feel like there's like parallel fears of like aging, your body falling apart, mm -hmm. you know, that I feel in this one, too. But I did see on IMDb, Bruce Davison's also in Golden Years. Yeah, yeah. Golden Years is a really interesting relic. It's not something I would recommend uh, necessarily because it's a rough watch. But, but you know, and I guess I can say why why he might 
why he's a lot more happy with Kingdom Hospital because I think that, you know, this there is an ending, like a definitive ending. Whereas yeah. Golden Years was very much written to be a cliffhanger at the end of the first season because he was they were pretty much like, we're going to get a second season. And but then when that didn't happen, they had to sort of tack on an ending and it's really, really bad. But um, yeah. it's just a mess of a show. But and probably one King wants to forget. So uh, whereas Kingdom Hospital, he's very, very proud of even um, I think in retrospect. So, uh, yeah. So more from this. At the time they first stumbled up on the material, Mr. King and Mr. Carliner tried to buy the rights to the Danish original only to learn that Columbia Pictures had acquired them and intended to make a theatrical movie. It took five years of fruitless trying before Columbia concluded the work could not be adapted in two-hour form. In the meantime, King had had his accident and the experience drew him all the more toward a story about dark doings in a hospital. Mr. Carliner described Mr. King as so obsessed with the story that he started writing an adaptation even before the rights became available again. In fact, he was so eager for those rights that he had made a deal for them. Columbia called my agents and said, we'll give him Kingdom Hospital if he's willing to trade something for it, Mr. King said. It was like swapping marbles. Mr. King sold Columbia the rights to a novella from the 1990 book Four Past Midnight. Which one do you guys think it was? Was it The Langoliers? Nope. It can't be the library policeman. No. The sundog. Okay. And the sundog. No, and then there's we- only oh, one secret more. window. Yeah. Secret Is window. Is it that one? Yeah. Ooh. So uh, by chance, the the one you least suspect. (laughs) Yeah. By chance, the film, which stars Johnny Depp, is scheduled for release not long after Kingdom Hospital goes on the air. So uh, beyond the fright and the funny, Mr. King tried in Kingdom Hospital to push beyond his customary action intense scenes towards more character based drama, especially in scenes that involve his alter ego, Peter Richman. I've also seen the name styled as Rickman. I can't remember what it is in the show. Is it Richman or Rickman? I think it's Rickman there in the go. show. There's okay. Johnny Depp. <laughs> there is Secret Window Johnny Depp. The VHS version too. Uh, so because okay, I kept there's... thinking Alan Rickman's brother, of course. Yeah, and I feel like I saw Rickman more, but then it said Richmond in this piece, so you know whatever. R- by the R- grace R- of Jim God, Man. by the grace of God, what happens to him did not ultimately happen to me. Mr. King said he said he found writing the moment that the character's wife learns how badly her husband was injured really wrenching for me. Mr. King said his wife had told him just a bit of what she went through that first day. It was hard for my wife to watch the scene, he said. The character of the artist is unable to communicate in speech, just as Mr. King was, Mr. Carliner said. But he does communicate in drawings. The power of Mr. King's name enabled the production to induce the artist Jamie Wyeth, whose works often contain macabre images, to supply all the original drawings used in the show. Mr. King conceded that the show would play on viewers' natural fears of hospitals. We're hoping to make that a lot worse, he said. The hospital in this show adds its unpleasant ambience by being located on the site of a factory that suffered a devastation or a devastating loss of life in a fire. But as to ABC's efforts to trumpet the series as some kind of breakthrough for the television form, Mr. King said, I think they're pulling your chain a bit there. In truth, he said, the notion of doing a short-run network series came about because that was the only way Mr. King would do it. It was he who saw the show as a network version of The Sopranos. ABC wanted him and Mr. Carliner to fashion Kingdom Hospital just like another drama series. They came in to us and said, do 22 episodes. We said, no, Mr. King said. I am not a series TV person, he said. In series TV, it's beginning, then middle, middle, middle. Like the kid says in Stand By Me, about television. They keep on wagon training. I just don't watch series television. ER, I have never watched. Friends, I have never watched. I don't say that with pride because that's really my culture. Seinfeld, I've never seen an episode. It's always the same people doing the same things. 
That's funny because now he's like such a TV head. He Yes. <laughs> yeah. If you follow King on Twitter, it's like, that's all he talks about. I know. Um, and I, I misspoke earlier. Bruce Davidson's not in Golden Years. He's in Stephen King's Golden Tales, which is another thing I don't know anything about. But in the segment Road Processor from the Gods, according to oh, IMDb yeah. from 1985. Nice. A, Love Bruce Davidson. Okay. Uh, I should read a plot synopsis of Kingdom Hospital um, just to, um, I don't know, set things up a little bit because there are several different threads and a lot of it is very similar to what the Danish version was. But the big addition, obviously, is this artist character who is hit by a car in almost exactly the same fashion as King was. It's uh, fucking traumatizing. I know. It really and I, is. It's so upsetting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have so many thoughts about it. But like oh, they yeah. literally <laughs> used the same van that hit him. The guy who is like reaching back to grab his dog when he hits him in the show. That's exactly what happened in real life. And a lot mm-hmm. of the injuries are very similar. So, um, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to read just the Wikipedia synopsis because it's nice and easy. The story tells of the fictional Kingdom Hospital located in Lewiston, Maine, Kings Dominion, built on the site of a mill that manufactured military uniforms during the American Civil War. Previously, a hospital known as the Old Kingdom had been built on the site, but it burned down. The current hospital is known as the New Kingdom. The hospital's turbulent nature seems to reflect its ominous logo, a crimson stylized dagger predicting what will come. A psychic named Mrs. Drews has checked into the hospital numerous times and is taken by the staff to be a hypochondriac. She asks for the assistance of the cynical yet compassionate Dr. Hook, played by Andrew McCarthy, to uncover the truth about the hospital and the mysterious spirits who haunt it, including a sinister teenage boy, a young girl who had died in the fire that burned the original hospital down, and a strange animal that follows and protects the young girl, who calls it Antubis. It is similar to a giant anteater, but whose long snout opens up to a set of jagged teeth. Elsewhere, Peter Rickman, a painter who is admitted to the hospital following a road accident with severe injuries to his skull and spine, begins to discover the ghastly goings-on when he lies comatose in room 426. Other subplots include the initiation of arrogant chief of surgery Dr. Stegman, played by Bruce Davison, into the secret society known as the Keepers, and the challenge that every turn flirtation between uh, young Dr. Elmer Trath and sleep doctor Dr. Lona Massengale. And yeah, the cast includes Andrew McCarthy, Bruce Davison, Megan Fay, Ed Begley Jr., playing a character named Dr. Jesse James. Um, <laughs> and who are the other notable names in here? Julian Richings, um, Diane Ladd, obviously. Uh, Jack Coleman is the guy who plays Peter Rickman. Um, and then I feel like there was like one or two other. Uh, Michael Lerner pops up. He's a great um, character actor. I love him in um, Barton Fink. And then uh, I'm scanning the thing here. Yeah, that's There's about it. Beverly Elliott, who is one of those, like I've seen her in a million things. She plays mm-hmm. nurse Brick Bannerman. Okay. Bannerman. Yeah, exactly. But her first name is Brick. So, you know. Interesting. Know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of like network people that you, you've probably seen in a couple episodes of like CSI or something. Mm-hmm. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about some reviews, see how this did. It had about a 47% or so on Metacritic. Not great, but I there were a lot of really good reviews. Uh, the Newark Star Ledger, for example, they were probably the most enthusiastic I saw. They said to find a network drama that bears sustained comparison to ABC's Kingdom Hospital, you'd have to go all the way back to 1990 when the same network premiered David Lynch's Twin Peaks. Alternately random and brilliant, the 15-hour limited-run series Kingdom Hospital has a similarly indescribable vibe. Set in a huge main hospital, it plays like a cross of MASH, Six Feet Under, and The Shining. King, his talented ensemble cast, and his capable director, Craig R. Baxley, have created one of the creepiest locales in TV history, but they don't limit themselves to mere spookiness. They go wherever they please, and their brazen confidence demands that we follow along. So that one was very positive. CNN also really liked it. Uh, They said, while the lead story of the opener is obviously patterned on King's own interaction with a moving vehicle, it's clear that the man is screwing with our minds, as usual. I mean, doctors named Hook and Jesse James, and then we have another hospital worker named Johnny B. Good. Indeed, eccentric King elements abound, dancing in lockstep with the fright to create a distinctively offbeat stew. Baxley and director of photography David Connell conspire to create a disturbingly offbeat visual universe that finds fantasy and reality coexisting interchangeably. It bodes well for a series whose jittery pacing and oddball sensibility call to mind an ABC drama called Twin Peaks. King is given plenty of leeway here to do what he does best, that is, keep us divertingly off balance. That should prove a good thing. It is fun to see all the Twin Peaks comparisons since Golden Years was very much created to capitalize on Twin Peaks and like mm-hmm. wasn't really successful in that. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say Kingdom Hospital um, is successful as Twin Peaks for me personally, but yeah. I do think it's more successful than Golden Years. Um, New York Times, this is where they're kind of in the middle here. They said... Mr. King has always leavened his horror stories with humor, and his storytelling has been captivating even when his jokes fall flat. Kingdom Hospital, set in a spookily empty hospital where there are many top neurosurgeons and no candy stripers, is a little like The Shining with cat cat scans, but its plot unfolds disjointedly and without enough suspense, and that leaves viewers with plenty of time to decide that life is too short to heed the interior monologues of four-footed creatures, even if they are hallucinations. The buildup to the inevitable collision is drawn out unnervingly. When the moment finally comes, it is as shocking and scary as an unexpected thunderclap. That all-too-real moment of horror is far more powerful than any of the gothic eccentrics and woeful ghosts that haunt Kingdom Hospital. Long before the movie The Ring came out, the ghosts of murdered girls had become a horror movie cliche. The one staring reproachfully from the recesses of Kingdom Hospital is less scary than predictable and annoying, like a mosquito at a lakeside campground. Hardcore Stephen King fans may well find enough thrills to hold their attention over 13 weeks. For the rest, the uneasy ground of Kingdom Hospital is easily left untouched. Um, 
And then I have two short bits here. These were the most scathing reviews I found, and they were both from Boston papers. So uh, Boston Globe said, Stephen King's Kingdom Hospital is as scary as a child's jack-in-the-box, unless your definition of horror involves a pair of Coke bottle glasses and boo, Diane Ladd. Like a high school uh, Halloween theatrical, the new 13-episode series strains to be eerie with a roster of dime store fright tricks. Power failures at the titular hospital, a faulty elevator, a psychic who sees ghosts, the silhouette of a dead girl on a video monitor. They're all telling us to move to the edge of our seats rather than just putting us there. And they're telling us very slowly as ABC hopes to stretch the cliches into a more genuinely spooky realm known as May Sweeps. And then the Boston Herald said, oh, if only television critics could be like Simon Cowell on American Idol, I could declare Stephen King's Kingdom Hospital positively dreadful and viewers would never have to see it again. I think wow. the Simon Cowell reference is speaks to the TV landscape at the time, which uh -huh. was very reality heavy. And King talks about that in his um, EW piece is that, you know, I think they really saw this as the time to create a really good network TV drama because everything was reality at that point. Um, mm -hmm. It was like the height of Bachelor, Bachelorette, Survivor, um, American Idol, all of those sorts of things. So I don't know. What do you guys take away from these reviews? Um, how do they align? How do they divert from your takeaways uh, from the series? Julia, what do you think? I think it's nice to hear the positive ones. I think it's nice to see people who saw it and saw what they were going for and appreciated that. Um, it, it felt kind of like a, a, a budget Twin Peaks to me, you know, it's kind of like you're, you're striving for that weirdness, but not quite getting that weirdness, but you can't because David Lynch is just a strange man, right? It's just <laughs> coming out of his brain. And if you can't force it, so I don't know if it's just the director isn't weird enough for it. Like I, there was a lot of, uh, really cinematic camera work. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of really interesting angles and really using the cameras in unique ways that normal television shows don't. Um, but it didn't feel str strange enough to me, I feel like. I wanted it to be weirder. Yeah. Um, and then the bits that they went weird, I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, and because I haven't seen um, the Venture one, I don't know how much of it is spun off in another direction. Yeah. So, you know, because I don't, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, I wanted to like it more than I did, I think. Yeah. Um, Where would you say that you were, like, most not connecting with it? Like, was it in the pacing? Was it in the characters? Was it in the humor? Kind of all of it. Yeah. I feel like, like, Diane Ladd's character got on my nerves real quick. <laughs> Same. And, <laughs> and it was, it was just, it felt very, very repetitive. Mm -hmm. It felt like, like in Stranger Things, like, I feel like all they give Winona Ryder to do is like, where's my son? And I feel like it was the same thing. She's like, Mary, where's the little girl? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we know you're looking, man. You're looking like, it just, <laughs> it felt drawn out. Um, yeah. And so there wasn't enough in every episode to kind of, I'm like, okay, we're still doing this. We're still doing this. And I wanted it to go further. Uh, than it did. And it just, you know, the, 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 I think the end episode was cool. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it was um, cool to be like, okay, here's the deal, right? Like we finally get to see the whole shebang, which I think was great. But so I was, I was actually unusually satisfied by the ending of a show where I'm like, okay, I feel like everything's um, pretty good. And, you know, because I, but you can also tell that they're aiming for a next season, right? There's so many yeah. threads that just are dropped off and, 
it was like, oh, all the we never get to hear about any of this stuff again. Um, and then uh, if we're, I mean, we're talking spoilers in the whole bit, right? So yeah. like, you know, you have the you have the very end where everybody's like, we did it, guys. No one died. <laughs> we saved everyone. And then they start stamping in the windows like, I'm going to get you. And that's yeah. just the end. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I like this ending. We're like, it's not going to go well. He's going to kill them all. And like, we have this moment of happiness, but oh no, he's coming for them. I agree. I really thought the ending, it landed really well. And that, and it's funny because I think King kind of feels similar, uh, as we'll talk about in the EW uh, piece that he wrote. Jen, how about you? What were sort of your can I, takeaways? Can I just interject? I'm oh, sorry. Before yeah, we go ahead. move on, one more thing. Uh, the other thing that uh, really delighted me about the ending was uh, we switched from Nozzle Cola to Pepsi. So now we know that they've landed in Keystone Earth at the very end and the whole other bit was in one of the other parallel universes. And yep. then I was like, aha, ha, ha, ha. The, the ones that are for the deep cuts for like nerds like us. And I was like, mm. okay, that made me like it better. And that actually ties into a big point that I want to make later, that specific note. And I was wondering if you were going to catch that um, because a lot of people online talk about that when they talk about this show is like that specific shift from mm -hmm. Nazala to Pepsi. Um, Jen, how about you? Um, well, first, let me say I did not have a chance to watch the entire series. It's so 15 hours, I understand. It is. Yeah, it's it's very long. Um, but I I don't know. I There's a lot that I really liked about it. I think I can agree with pieces of all of those reviews that you read. And I think part of the issue for me, again, I have not seen all of Twin Peaks either. So, like, I'm not an expert on that. But, like, that kind of weirdness or, like, strange, quirky darkness seems to fit David Lynch's aesthetic mm -hmm. more than I think. And it almost feels like King is trying to kind of force this weirdness a little bit, you know, and I, again, have not seen Roger or um, Lars von Trier's, but his, what I know about him and from what I did write a thing about it a little while ago. And so I kind of dug in a little bit and there seems to be more of like a dark nihilistic, like medical malformation, like deformity, like, kind of vibe to it that I, it just doesn't really feel like King to me, you know, yep. it feels a little darker, almost like Ryan Murphy's kind of first seasons of American Horror Story. There's that like was, the, that was exactly the comparison I was going to make. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, and you know, for better or worse, cause I got a lot of opinions on that show too, but like, I just don't know if this is what we come to King for like mm -hmm. his, you know, his, some of his jokes hit, some of them don't, but we can overlook it the ones that don't because of the characters and we really fall in love with these characters. And I think that's what I'm missing from this, the humor. I think there's way too much of it. There's too much like bizarre, nonsensical kind of winking stuff. And I want, I think a little more character. Yeah. I want not all of these characters to be jerks, you know? Mm -hmm. And I want like, if we're going to have a little ghost girl, I think I want to know a little more about that story and have it be taken a little more seriously, but just like the tone just feels real jumbled and I'm not really sure how to engage with it. You know, the yeah, ghost really girl into anybody's backstories. Yeah. Much. yeah. Except for okay. Bruce Davison. Bruce Davison yeah. gets the most because that's really tied to like his whole arc. But mm -hmm. I, I know I agree otherwise. And the, the little girl, like it just takes too long to get there. Like we do get the backstory and her mm -hmm. character is important to the finale, but you know, and it's interesting when King says they want us to make 22 and we said, no, only 13. 
it's still too many episodes, you know? And that's yeah. and that's something that I think we can look at. But that was that was short for that era. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's like what's important to remember. And it reminds me of like one of my favorite shows in the world. I already mentioned it was The Shield. And uh, The Shield is very similar. It premiered around the same time. And it was one of those shows that I think like Kingdom Hospital was trying to bridge the gap between episodic television and procedural television. And uh, the first couple seasons of The Shield have a lot more procedural elements and they're longer seasons. Uh, they're between 13 and 16 episodes, I believe. But by season four, five, six, seven of The Shield, they get every season gets progressively shorter because that was the direction. It was becoming more acceptable to do that mm -hmm. uh, on television. And to me, I think it helps the show immensely. Uh, whereas yeah. I think that the early seasons of The Shield have a lot of good stuff in them, but then a lot of the procedural storylines can sort of drag things out and there's a lot more wheel spinning. And I think there's a lot of that happening in Kingdom Hospital. Yeah. And that's like, I had that same experience with Sons of Anarchy too, yep. is like by the lighter one. And were those both FX, FX yep. shows? Yep. Yeah. Well, okay. And so the other thing that was not really related to Kingdom Hospital, but that I was thinking when you were reading those reviews is like, is it possible to make a good dramatic show on network TV that is not procedural? You know, because you could say the same thing about ER. Like there are um, long plot lines, but there's also the case of the week or the case of every two weeks. And that is what I think draws you in. And then you want to come back to see if Carter's going to date Lucy, you know, and I, or like, you know, the George Clooney stuff. But like, that's, I think what we're missing here is like, it feels too long drawn out and there's not enough bang for our buck right mm -hmm. away, which I think, but I mean, what do y'all think about that? Do you think like, is it possible to have a good drama on a network, on network, you know? Well, I think you're saying like an episodic drama that's not as reliant on procedural kind of yeah. elements right but also like good and like not not it doesn't have like the soft focus of like we can't show boobs or something like that <laughs> i mean there are a lot of celebrated dramas that were on network television especially i mean in the 80s and stuff like you have like 30 something you have shows like yeah. that that i think could they could operate a little more in that space uh but I mean, for me, I've not really seen, aside from Twin Peaks, I've not really seen a network thing that really spoke to me. But I know, mm -hmm. you know, for like, I've never seen This Is Us, but people love that. Is that procedural or, you know, I'm not really sure how that yeah. show works. <laughs> but that because of parenthood, I think, which is also really indebted to 30 something. Mm. Um, and those, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm I'm more asking about a darker thing like that is not because that's more just like family drama, like conversation. Right. You know? So maybe my I, I, real question is, is it possible for me to be interested in a network <laughs> drama? <laughs> I'm sure that the listeners could recommend amazing things to you. I'm sure they probably can. And I'm probably forgetting. Oh, well, My So-Called Life was a flawless show. Wasn't that, that on MTV? Mm -hmm. No, it play, it reruns played on oh. MTV. I think it was, uh, oh. it was either Channel 4 or Channel 2. Love my so-called life. Oh, good. Yes. Best show I was ever. so in love with Claire Danes on that show. Oh, I was um, in love with George, Jared Leto. I, I, I mean, I kind of was too, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish that, you know, because part of this, you know, the, these the, even ER, there's a bit of a soap opera element to it, yeah. right? You have yep. the, the cases and everything, but who's dating who, et cetera, which they like barely dip their toes in here. 
not enough to keep me interested at all. I'm like, I don't understand their backstory. I don't understand why they like each other. I don't understand what's happening. And if you're going to give me like general hospital soap opera stuff, give me more steaminess. Yeah. I mean, we we did get Andrew McCarthy in his underwear. Thank fucking God. Cause that made me a very happy girl, but there wasn't enough of that. And I know you can go further on TV. Like they, you can go way further than they went. And I was like, well, give me some good stuff if you're going to go for it. But I didn't feel like it wanted to go because i mean i love stephen king to the, the bottom of my soul but he's not a sexy sexy writer like yeah. that's not his thing right he's not into the show and the sexy stuff which we always know it annoys the perv in me <laughs> yeah i, I think um <laughs> i think the big problem with me was i don't find it funny like and i think yeah. this has always been an issue with king for me is i adore him i adore his storytelling um and i adore the characters but it's very very rare that I find something genuinely funny in King. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed that with his TV writing um, and film writing is that the jokes usually don't really land for me. It's just not my kind of humor. And I think that that was a huge like obstacle for me really enjoying Kingdom Hospital. That And then, yeah, I wanted to point out the American Horror Story aspect, which is that I think specifically of season two, which is, you know, set in a mental institution and uh, is probably my favorite American Horror Story season I've seen, but mm-hmm. I still don't really like it. It's just one of those where, because I think with any Ryan Murphy show, I'm into like 20% of each episode and the mm-hmm. rest of it I find boring and kind of exhausting and or just tedious. But then there will be like in season two, I, I, I. I wonder if this was almost directly inspired by um, the musical number that's in Kingdom Hospital. There is mm-hmm. a musical Which, number. Yeah. That threw me really hard. That yeah. was one of the things that I was like, I don't know what the show is doing. I don't know yeah. what this is. Like this is in not a vacuum, landing. Yeah. In a vacuum, it was cool. But in the context of the show and the the flow of it at that point, it I, did not work for me. I mean, my motto is everything is better with the dance number. So I'm always <laughs> on board for that. Whenever there's like a non-musical thing that gives you a surprise dance number, it gives me glee. But that one is like, I don't. Why? What are they? Yeah. Huh? Is this but, a yeah. hallucination? Is this really happening? I don't know what's happening here. Yeah. And like in season. American Horror Story pulls it off. They do in the name game. Uh, yeah, bit, yeah. 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 Which uh-huh. is. But I think part of why it works is because they commit so fully to the bit and they allow the characters to almost break free from the shackles of the story. And Mm -hmm. it, but the, and then most importantly is that the energy matches the rest of the energy of the show. And that isn't the case in Kingdom Hospital. This is such a tricky tonal balance to navigate. I don't even think Lynch pulls it off all the time in Twin Peaks, like, Mm -hmm. because to go from such silliness to such darkness is really, really hard. I think Twin Peaks is like 96% successful in that, but there are a few moments where I'm like, oof, like that navigation didn't quite work for me because, but the fact that it did as much as it does is as a miracle, which is why mm-hmm. that show is so, why we still talk about it. And um, so I don't think that you can enter into that lightly. American Horror Story is something else entirely, but it i was reminded the whole idea of like 2080 in terms of enjoyment and non-enjoyment was very similar to kingdom hospital for me yeah. in its sequences i was like this is cool as hell and it really does build to a cool ending i agree with you mm-hmm. Julie. like um which is i feel like cuz they were finding their groove and i i want to get into this ew piece cuz king kind of talks about that but it is a 
it's it's just for me and a lot of the reviews mention this there is a dullness there is kind of like a drawn out pacing problem to it Mm -hmm. and it makes me wonder like i don't know if this team was fully equipped to make a a project that big and be able to sustain that quality you know it's odd Mm -hmm. to me because stephen king specializes in characters he does that so well that make you fall in love with characters and so why there just needed to be more conversations not about the hospital right there needed to be more conversations about themselves because there was so much of like do you believe here we are here's the girl but nothing about their anybody's relationship to each other really like we know like everyone hates segman but like just give us more of that i feel like that was the main problem was just retreading the same questions Yeah. yeah Yeah, I also think like the the thing I agree with you about Ryan Murphy, like the thing that pulls me in is the aesthetics. I think he's got a really, really strong eye yeah. and it always looks interesting in a really macabre kind of cold, like creepypasta kind of way, you know? Um, and so that's what carries me through some of the dumber plots. You know, also I had a big crush on Evan Peters, so that helped me he out He is too. fantastic. I love him as an actor. He, I know he's all, and he's always great in the roles, you know? Um, but like, I, I'm missing a engaging aesthetic with this one that I mm-hmm. don't find problematic, you know? So while I'm waiting for something to happen, it's like, there's not really that much to look at. And I yeah. think like, I, like one thing I wanted to ask you when we were talking about hospitals Because I think what I would do with this is I would kind of lean more into just the natural horror of medical stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. because like, have y'all ever spent long periods of time in a hospital? Have you ever had like major surgery or anything? Because it's, it's, I've spent a lot of time in hospitals. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like we, you don't need ghosts for that to be scary, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There are ghosts. Like they always feel a little uncomfortable because you know how many people have died there, right? That's a lot of what. You yeah. go into hospital like, ooh, that's uh, not the not a good not a good vibe. Not, yeah, it doesn't feel really good. But it's also the it was so dark, and I know we weren't watching like the best version of it, but <laughs> like it's something like the same with like modern horror movies. I'm very angry because I'm like they're so dark, I can't see anything. Mm-hmm. So it can't, and I know it's supposed to be like, oh, it's scary because I can't see. But I'm like, if I really can't see, I don't. I go, okay, why are you doing this? And this, I think it has to do with the aesthetic. Like it needs to be creepy, but it also needs to be beautiful and mm-hmm. i feel like this is not beautiful there are beautiful camera shots within it but i feel like the aesthetic itself is not beautiful it's kind of dull yeah it's not as fully realized i think the lighting is a big problem with it to be honest yeah i think there's a lot of lighting issues i think a lot about i think and this isn't to shade craig baxley the director i think he did a fantastic job with mm-hmm. um storm of the century specifically but, you know, you look at Twin Peaks, you look at um, The Kingdom, which, again, I haven't seen, but I've seen a lot of Ron Trier movies, and he is a stylist, and he has big ideas. And um, his movies are beautiful to look at when he's making them beautiful. Sometimes he makes them purposely ugly in order to, you know, hammer home his point and make you feel like absolute shit. Uh, yes, hello, he does. Do- hello, Dogville. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's uh, – but I think, you know, that is a guy who – his like you when you mentioned nihilism, I think that's like a decent way to look at. I, I don't know if he's necessarily nihilistic, but he is a very dark humored individual. And I was reading a lot of people say that the humor in the original kingdom is very biting. It's a lot of one liners. It's very dry. It's like bone dry and it's pitch black. And I don't think that King quite has that 
kind of humor. His humor is more folksy. It's more uh, like pop culture oriented and um, and uh, I don't know, like like kind of stuff. And I don't know if that necessarily carries over. And then when you combine it and this is kind of what you guys were getting at is there's not a strong like there's not a stylist behind the camera. There's like an, there's a, a strong operator, like a guy who is capable of producing a good product, but it's not Lynch. It's not Von Trier. It's not even Ryan Murphy, you know, where there is yeah. this like really or Mike strong, Flanagan, right? Or Mike Flanagan, you... who's got a strong aesthetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you really need someone who has an eye. And I just don't think that that's there. And that's a hard thing. You know, if you don't have that, like the visual world has to be as immersive as sort of what's on the page. So agreed. Yeah. Or you have to have a really, really strong hook to yeah. pull you in. Doctor to like kind of Doctor <laughs> Hook. Yeah. And I, it also makes me wonder if King was not so kind of dedicated to remaking the kingdom mm-hmm. and had just kind of done his own thing set in a hospital, if it would have turned out more, like if we would have liked it more. Yeah. Know? And that's really interesting because, um, because like, how do I phrase this? He didn't have to use IP. Nowadays, we have right. to use IP, right? Like to get mm-hmm. anything made. Um, King could have probably just said, I want to make my own weird hospital show and not, yeah. and you know, like maybe say like inspired by the kingdom, but still do his own thing. And yeah, mm-hmm. so the remake aspect of it is part of, I think, what hurts it. Yeah. All right. I want to jump into the EW essay. This is from July of 2004 so the show had been canceled its final episode was in may and um this is what king wrote about kingdom hospital and i think this is a really really good essay it's a little long so bear with me but he said as april of this year passed and i got more and more kingdom hospital dvds marked domestic broadcast version two things became apparent to me the first was that the shows were getting steadily better the second by tax day it could no longer be denied was that we were going down the tubes That was a Maalox month for me, and I often found my thoughts turning to the great screenwriter William Goldman's first rule of show business, nobody knows anything. Kingdom Hospital should have worked. It was based on a Danish miniseries that was both funny and um, scary. We had a great cast, including two Academy Award nominees, Bruce Davison and Diane Ladd. We had a network, ABC, that was fully behind us because I had delivered successful miniseries projects to it before and because it was desperate for a hit. I had a near-perfect rapport with my KH writing partner, Richard Dooling, who knows plenty about medicine and whose macabre sense of humor is in perfect harmony with mine. Add this, add to this a producer with whom I've worked for 10 years, a director who heroically signed on to shoot all 15 hours of the show and work with the same core crew throughout to give the series a seamless made-by-hand feel. And geez louise, why wouldn't I feel confident? ABC execs felt that way too. Not everything I'd done for them was great. Only God gets it right all the time. But some of our cooperative efforts, uh, such as The Stand and Storm of the Century, had done well with the critics as well as in the ratings. The network made no secret of wanting a marquee dramatic success in the midst of the reality show glut. Also, ABC had something that, to my knowledge, it never had before. Every single script. This made the show easier to budget, easier to schedule, and much easier to cast. Actors love seeing the whole arc of their characters. And for ABC, it became easier, at least in theory, to evaluate hospitals' chances of success. What uh, what the network believed, what executive producer Mark Carliner and director 
Craig Baxley believed, what my co-writer Richard Dooling and I believed, was that KH was going to be a roaring success. As late as this March, Rick and I delivered a season two Bible, which the Alphabet Net bought, paid for, and eagerly received. Of course, most of the execs who bought that Bible and Kingdom Hospital in the first place were gone by May, part of a major network shakeup that may not be over yet. KH was put on hiatus, net speak for get that dead fish out of here so it doesn't stink up the May sweeps. It will finish, however. Those of you who want to see how the story ends, which it does rather splendidly, I think, can watch the final four episodes that began June 24th with the passion of Reverend Jimmy, our tip of the cap to Mel Gibson. So who's to blame for this app? El Floppo, the network, that would be an easy answer. ABC has fallen on hard times, but it won't sw- it won't wash. ABC promoted well and delivered a large enough audience for the premiere episode to land in the Nielsen top 20. After that, watching the ratings was like watching a man walk down a set of suicide steps. We went from <laughs> 5.5 to 3.7 to 2.3, finally bottoming out at something like a 1.0, which is basically the ratings equivalent of the Black Death. Was it the story? Man, we all thought that the idea of ghosts in a modern hospital was a groove and European audiences flipped for the Lars von Trier version. American audiences may not have been comfortable with the mixture of realistic hospital triage and supernatural goings on in the Old Kingdom, which, as lawyers know, is Kingdom Hospital's darker half. My wife, who wrote the story on which the passion of Reverend Jimmy is based, may have come closest to the real problem after watching the first episode. She was very quiet after it was over, and I asked her with some real concern if she hadn't liked it. She said she'd liked it fine, but added that there was a lot of heavy lifting in it. I knew what she meant, and that was when my first feelings of unease surfaced. There was a lot of heavy lifting in that first episode, and in the next couple too. I think there's a lot of fun to be had in them as well, but Kingdom Hospital really is a novel, not a bite-sized TV series like CSI or Law & Order, and most novels offer readers a deal. If you give me some time and effort, I'll pay you back double or triple, or in the case of the great ones, maybe a dozen times over. With KH, I realize now we were asking viewers to give us a week or two, maybe three, and that was more time than most were willing to give. Am I putting TV viewers down, accusing them of being dumb? I am not. You come home tired, you want something that's fun and familiar, that's fine. It doesn't preclude the thrill of discovering something new. Just look at the success of 24. All I'm saying is that inertia is a tough barrier to crash through, and Kingdom Hospital wasn't capable of doing it. Those last four episodes sure are fine, though. For me, they pay off like a jackpot in Vegas. I only wish I could have bought a larger, uh, brought a larger audience along to collect it. So yeah, um, so I think he kind of gets it, uh, mm-hmm. and because that's how I felt watching those first few episodes. Absolutely, is that a lot of heavy lifting what here? Does that, what does that mean, heavy lifting? It means that there's a lot of stuff that you have to convey to the audience, I think, to to situate them uh, and help them understand the given circumstances of this story and this place and these people. Like, that's okay. really the hardest thing, I think, about a pilot uh, episode is you really have to, like, find a way to introduce everything without boring, like, you. but then you also need to pair that with some kind of propulsive action that yeah. Is like okay. This is why I'm watching the show. It's like a tough thing to navigate, and uh, mm-hmm. it's, um, and I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure that. Like, I think King is is smart in saying in a book you have more time. I think to let's spend a little time getting to know everybody, and we can and what the story is. You don't need to like establish the plot instantly. You can work your way towards the plot, 
And it's not really like that on TV. What are you going to say, Jen? Well, yeah. And I think like when I think of heavy lifting too, I think like I have to do a lot of work to figure it out, you yeah. know, and to try to put all of these pieces together. And I wonder if like, cause with a novel, you can also choose when you stop and start. And this was a weekly, I wonder if it would have done better with binging. You know, we mm. kind of talked about that with, I believe it was Lisey's story that it works really well as a bingeable thing. Um, but yeah, it also reminds me, like I remember saying about um, Rose Red, I would kill to read that novel. Yeah. I think there's a really great story here and I want it in, I think, what King's strongest format is. And I would love to read this story too, because he hasn't really, he's written about a lot of doctors and he's written about people in the hospital, but he hasn't ever really written a hospital story. And I would love this. As yeah. I would love to read this as well. It feels because that, you know, it's something, you know, obviously with the the mill fire is very similar to like the Kitchener Ironworks in it, mm -hmm. where you have this, you know, children and reading about that on in it is fucking terrifying. Mm -hmm. And and so having these, you know, 150 children dying in a fire should feel terrifying, but somehow isn't yeah. like it doesn't feel, you know, even though you hear them screaming and stuff, like it doesn't feel terrifying, but I feel like he could make that terrifying on the page, yeah. but it's just not visually quite there. And that's where I feel the network TV, I think, because like, yeah. it's hard to kill kids on a network TV show, you know, but I feel like an HBO show or like even now it might be grittier. I think what I, when I talk about like the old network stuff, it's like, there's a softness there. Like I never really feel like anybody is seriously in danger. Nothing really like, bad's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like this show, especially when I think about like Lars von Trier's version of it, like it really needs to feel kind of devastating, you know, and I, that's just kind of what I'm missing. Yeah. I was actually surprised that no one died. I really thought someone was going to die. I was like, ooh, who are they going to kill? And then they yeah. killed no one. This is a hospital. Like, you, you, people die all the time, you know? Yeah. But they, you know, they were kind of like, all right, who's, somebody's going to get it. And no Hold one Hold on. That it. one lady who was the best bridge player, gosh darn it, that Mrs. Psychic Lady has ever seen. I think she died, but we didn't see There it. was the older guy who died. Like the really old guy. There was like minor there. characters, but no But there was like character. none of like the, the major ones. Impressive. I yeah. guess. Unless they've been uh, dead the whole time, maybe. <laughs> I just want to touch on what I find most interesting about this series, which is I want to circle back to the accident. So, yes, because oh, I really think, yeah, because I really think that this show, it really puts a cap on his post-accident work, which I guess more or less began with the description of it in on writing, like, you know, and then it continued either literally as in Dreamcatcher, where like a man is recovering from a horrific accident or more spiritually as in like from a Buick 8 where a car is basically a portal to another more horrifying world. And there's all these ruminations on death and nihilism, you know, and uh, but yeah, so King continued that into the fictional realm to sort of confront the fear of death, of nothingness, of his legacy and the idea that there will be has to be like some kind of end. Uh, it was around this time he finished The Dark Tower by writing himself and his accident into it that he talked about. Oh, and he was talking a lot at this time about retiring as well. Mm -hmm. And in Kingdom Hospital, you also have this artist character who endured the same trauma. And it almost reminds me of uh, Synecdoche, New York, the Charlie Kaufman film, where you have this artist sort of trying to recreate these moments from his life in order to reckon with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and because not only did he write, you know, like, 
in Dreamcatcher, Buick 8, like these other books, these were like fictional stories that were touching on, I think, his fears. And then, uh, but then with Dark Tower and with this, it is literally, like Dark Tower, it's literally him. And he's recreating the accident in that way. And then on this show, it is a very, very thinly veiled version of him who gets, you know, hurt in the exact same way. I just, I understand writing about it would be horrifying. I can't imagine him watching this. Right. Like yeah. just to watch because like just that the those shots where they kept showing him like broken on the ground. And I was like, oh, my God, like he must have told them what had happened to him. Right. And they're like, break it this way. It was like this. And my head hit here. And like he had to have really gone through it and described it to them. And I was like, that sounds that's so brave to be able to do that and to be able to work through it in that way. Like God, God bless that he had that kind of avenue to be like, okay, I'm getting this out of my system, mm-hmm. but in all these creative ways. Yeah. I mean, I think that he was obsessed with it. Uh, and Jen and I, we, we've talked about this a lot, like in our episodes about the accident and going through books like Dreamcatcher, going through Buick 8, and especially the Dark Tower series, he's always returning to this stuff. And he's always like reckoning with the idea of like, I came this close to dying, you know? And yeah. and what does that mean? And uh, like that has completely changed the way I see the world. And so anyways, it's like it makes sense, I think, that he would want to do like a project in a hospital, which is a place of horror, but also yeah. of healing. And like Dark Tower, there's all this business with uh, I mean, Jen, I don't know if you got to this part, but there's like time travel stuff going on in mm-hmm. the show. And the idea of going back in time to make things right, to prevent something from happening. And the idea that it was and, uh, you know, that happens in Dark Tower as well. So it's like mm-hmm. and he he's he's wrestling with this idea of like, is it possible to do that? Can you go back and fix something that was broken in the past? And in, in yeah. Kingdom Hospital, you can. And mm-hmm. uh, but then it made me think of 112263, where yeah. it's like a very different approach to that theme. Yeah. So, should you, you know? Should you? Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, but this remind because like, yeah, when you think about you can fix it, like Julia, you mentioned this earlier. Uh we see Nozala Cola throughout the whole series, but in the final episode, when they go back in time and they make something right, uh, or they they you know prevent a certain thing from happening, then when they come back, there's Pepsi machines, so they're now in sort of the stable level of the Dark Tower, right? Which does like basically posit they did a good thing by doing that, and I think one of the reasons he was I so- think it just means they can't go back and fix it. Right. Like it's put an end to it because in the Dark Tower, that's what it is. Like once you're in Keystone Earth, that's once you go forward, there's no going back. Okay. Yeah. So that's the thing that's like they've done this thing and like, okay, they're stuck in this path now, whatever this is. And now if something is really wrong, like that they're they're done. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So but I think like one of the reasons he was so drawn to this material is the humor in the darkness. Mm -hmm. And so this was like a dark era. I mean, Dreamcatcher is a dark fucking book. Uh, for as goofy as it is, it is a fucking like, it is like punishing. And mm-hmm. Buick 8 is extremely good and extremely like ho- hopeless at times. And the weight of, I think, muscling through the Dark Tower, which he sprinted to finish so he wouldn't die with it unfinished. And we talk a lot about the fact that it was around this time he was saying he was going to retire, that this was his swan song, that this was like his final say. And it felt like a culmination of all of his themes. And he sounds really exhausted and kind of angry in the postscript of that book. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he wanted to like 
find the humor again, you know? I think he yeah. liked being able to play around in this world and to bring a little silliness to a place as horrific as the hospital. Um, so I find all that. And I think that's like why he kind of moved on, right? Like, because, you know, it's it begins with, I think, Colorado Kid, where he basically is saying, all right, I'm I'm going to I'm going to try new things and I'm uh -huh. going to, uh, you know, stop writing about death. All the time. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's still writing about death, but not as I think introspectively and intensely. Yeah, I, I just he's gone so, in such like a true crime direction, right? Like he kind of pivoted into that and much less supernatural stuff. Although we do get some where you get the fairy tale and things. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it feels like he shifted more that instead of real like because it's like real life horror. And I feel like, you know, he probably sees enough of that around in real life to be like, hey, this happens yeah. in real life. Yeah. Well, which is just also, as scary. We also get Do McKee and Lacey's story, which I think are also like processing, but they feel a little lighter. It feels like, especially compared to um, Dreamcatcher, it feels like you can see him kind of working his way out. And even Gingerbread Girl, I would throw in there too. Yeah. There's more hope, um, I'd say. Exactly. Yeah. And it almost feels like he's kind of working his way towards finding that hope. It reminds me of Hereditary in a lot mm. of ways. You know how she makes like the miniatures of these mm -hmm. these crashes. And forgive me if I'm misremembering, but I don't think he had a traumatic brain injury in the actual accident. No, I think. he did not. Yeah. So in a way, this almost feels like a kind of exercising that what if, like what if I had had this major hematoma and I couldn't write because I remember I think in um, it's been a while since I've read on writing, but that being one of his biggest fears, like what if I lose this? Mm -hmm. So I think with this character who is, you know, learning how to communicate through his drawing, which also feels like a precursor to Dean McKee. Yep. Um, it's, you know, this kind of exercising the demons of like, what if I had this accident had not only killed me, but also taken away the thing that makes me me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is fucking dark. There's man. such a fearlessness in being able to go there and and really expose yourself and your own fears. Because I think those are such human fears. But for him specifically, if your brain is your life, I mean, it is for everybody. That's a stupid statement. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean, though. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, I completely agree, too. And I mean, that's part of the reason I love Stephen King so much is because when he is able to put his pain on the page and really kind of work through it with his work, like it allows me to do that too. And there are so many pieces of my life that I relate to Stephen King stories because I feel like he is able to take that brave step into doing it. And it kind of allows me, like I remember in what is it, um, Lunch at the Gotham Cafe, he talks about smoking as being a vocabulary for his pain. And I feel like King's books have become kind of a vocabulary for me mm. to kind of deal with my own shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to hear about, I want to hear your list, Julia, of King Easter eggs, things Ooh, like that. Yeah. Uh, I caught, you know, several myself, some of which I've already talked about, but I'd love to hear your uh more exhaustive list okay so uh nothing delights me more than a stephen king easter egg i'll just say that so every time one pops up i go Ooh. okay so um antibus the anteater they say he is they say he is a guardian of the gate mm -hmm. so uh, not quite the beam but it seems to be of that of that realm mm -hmm. uh they go to the freiburg fair here's a button for the freiburg fair and then the, i like that he says get me a nazi yeah like, yeah get a nazi in that like <laughs> 90s surge font that was so yeah. bad and it's like it's not even it didn't anyway um okay so one of somebody's uh reading a bag of bones 
Yep. There's a couple where people are reading King books. Yeah. They uh, mentioned Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. Somebody reading Misery. Yep. And what else? There's a reference at one point to the Emperor of Ice Cream, uh, yes. which is the yes. Wallace Salem's Stevens Lot, poem. Yeah. yeah, which he is is highlighted in Salem's Lot. Uh, that was and the one that I caught. In the last episodes, they mentioned Stephen King directly twice. Mm-hmm. It's, it says like it's it, it's a horror out of a Stephen King novel. So, <laughs> so just, corny like, not when he does even, that. Not I, I even love it every it. time. <laughs> and I then do they mention that? Do they mention that big dog of an uh, <laughs> in Castle Rock? <laughs> Up- <laughs> Um, and then we, of course, we have Stephen King himself as a lawyer and Johnny B. Good simultaneously. Like him, he's watching himself on the television. I it's very weird. I yeah, I love that. It's such a king thing that he would play a character named Johnny B. Good. Like, I know it is yeah. a funny running bit because that character is like always absent throughout the whole series, and then when he finally shows up, it is Stephen King. So it's um, like Tito on so- My So Called Life never yeah. shows up. You know, I like this like cameo. Like Godot, you're just waiting endlessly. I like I like this cameo. I don't always love King cameos. The worst one is in Rose Red. I despise this oh, cameo yeah. in that movie. But <laughs> uh, so Julia, you'll have that to look forward to when you watch Rose Red. Okay. And then right. uh, and then yeah. But I I like this cameo. My favorite cameo though might be him in Golden Years, where he's the bus driver and uh, yes, he actually gets a decent amount. Well, he gets like two or three lines, which is kind of fun. Uh, I like him as the as the priest in Pet Cemetery. That's my favorite, um, probably. Yeah. But I have to say, as a certified tower junkie. That honestly, the Nozzle Pepsi switch at the end made me rethink the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I love so much when movies and TV do like the lash out. I'm like, hey. And so it, and and for 99% of the audience, that meant nothing. Right. right? They didn't even notice that happen. For for us, it's like, oh my God, this whole thing has been taking place on an alternate, you know, universe. And now we've like snapped into Keystone Earth. And that's a whole and just really exciting as a Dark Tower fan. Yeah, and it, it does make me wonder what the se- second season would have looked like and Ooh, uh, yeah. how they would have approached that. Because, yeah, like like King said in the EW piece, they they had it mapped out. They were ready to roll. And I think, you know, I think it was kind of a golden year situation where they, you know, I guess just incorrectly thought, like, we're definitely going to get a second season. They had a lot of confidence going into it. And, I mean, they should have because, you know, Rose Red uh, and Storm of the Century stand like the majority of the of that team's projects like were successful. So mm-hmm. it's you know it's a bummer that it didn't quite pan out because yeah. even though I didn't love this, there's you know there's always the possibility that it could have locked into the tone a little bit better in the second season. You know, so and I very rarely watch first seasons of shows too. You know, because I feel like it takes like I think Arrested Development is the only one and My So Called Life, obviously. But wait, like, wait, wait! You don't watch the first season of shows? <laughs> yeah, you watch I things like, out of order. Are you a maniac? No, I like to check in on season two when they've got their shit together. <laughs> oh they my figured god! It out that like cutting edge lady is gone from West Wing, so I don't have to worry about it anymore. My so brain yeah, like cannot. Cannot handle that. My brain yeah. freaks out. I'm like, no, I have to watch the whole thing. That's why I feel like I'm a bad girl because I didn't watch the Lars von Trier one. I'm such of a completist that I have to. Oh, right. I need to watch it all. I'm, I didn't do my full job. Like, well, I yeah, I don't know. I do wonder if they could have found a groove. Maybe, maybe gotten it a like little they more. Kind of did. You know. Yeah, they they, yeah. Well, they were getting there by the end of the first season, at least in terms of the storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. but vi- like maybe if a little more money got thrown at it, like the visually yeah. they could have found that or the you know just find the right balance between those think, tones you know i'm sorry to the director but get another director yeah yeah I and but the thing is i think the- i think king was really loyal to him and uh you know sometimes i think that king 
like as much as I love Mick Garris, I don't yeah. think that I think that there's great Mick Garris King stuff and there's not so great Mick Garris King stuff. And I do think that sometimes King was almost too loyal to some directors uh, because who didn't who weren't able to create, I think, the best version of his work sometimes uh, Then you know, and I think We're he was kind of like that with Baxley. Yeah. Yeah. But, there, you know, all of those you're mentioning are all TV. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like I mean, modern modern. Yes. But if you're talking about this era of television, you can't do it hard enough right which is like something like i love the 1990 version of it more than anything but mm -hmm. it, it can't go as hard as it needs to to be it because right. it's on yeah. television so like this is the kind of the same thing you can't push out as far as you need to because we need that darkness and we need that violence and we don't get it so it feels like stephen king for tv is what it feels like you know yeah yeah, yeah. and i yeah. think that's my biggest issue but speaking of dark i did there was one Easter egg that I'm not sure if it's an actual Easter egg or not, but we see a crow at the mm. beginning. And I was kind of annoyed with these talking animals, except <laughs> the fact that I was like, okay, well, this is like a monstrous like animal that might be like a, a guardian of the beam or something. So I can excuse that. And then I was like, well, maybe the crow is the dark man. So maybe I can mm. get down with that, but I don't know. I always assume I've, I had forgotten Any about crow that, is a dark man, yeah. but I always yeah. assume the crow is the dark man um, in, in real life as well, by the way. Oh, totally. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> I'm like, Hey, it's Randall flag. <laughs> um, any other final thoughts uh, before we sign off on this one? Uh, Julia, you had a lot of notes. Like what, what didn't we get to talk about that? Maybe you would have liked to talk about. I, re I mean, I wish they had really gone further. So, you know, there is the episode with the baseball player where they do get to like reset the timeline and that was really interesting. And I'm like, if they had really pivoted in that direction, mm -hmm. I feel like it would have been way cooler. Um, I I don't know. Like, there really was. I mean, with for all of my notes, I'm like, oh, the the anteater. Okay, cool. Like, and you eventually find out what it is. But I would just like to mention though that I went to UC Irvine, and our mascot is Peter the anteater. Oh, fun. So, I do love that. I love that creature design, but I, I didn't love the way it was utilized, you know? Yeah. I think that a lot of the performances. Uh, no, I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I love it for all of the people in it and I loved all the people making it, but it somehow it just does not click in the way that it should. Yeah. And I yeah. think maybe, but, you know, and I know that there's also, you know, these, these timelines that got dropped off, but like they had a whole Jesus Christ episode, like literal Jesus Christ, all the stuff, water to wine, woke up third day, <laughs> shroud of Turin, whole bit. And then they were like, okay, bye. And just, it went away. And I was like, wait, wait, what? We just found fucking Jesus Christ. Are we not going to? Okay. All right. Like that, you know, these weirdest. And that was the episode that Tabby wrote. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. what? I was like, I don't, I didn't understand that episode. I don't know what's happening. It just, you know, it 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 didn't feel as cohesive as as it should have for for a television show. If you've written the whole thing out, right? You know, it should really feel like a big through line, and it kind of wobbled yeah. a lot of the time. But I will watch Andrew McCarthy do anything. Honestly, just watching him on screen anytime he's on there, eyes are happy, heart is happy. A true so, thing. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder if maybe the fact that they wrote the whole thing out was kind of a detriment, because I know sometimes mm. with shows, when you see the ratings, you can kind of adjust and kind of course correct. And, you know, you or see even see with... like how the cast is vibing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, you see that with shows like The West Wing, which is why, you know, you have kind of newer characters that come into the second season. Um 
And as far as this cast, like, yes, there are great performances, but like, if you put all of the cast members together in a line, they look very bland, you know, mm-hmm. some like Ed Begley Jr. and Bruce Davidson look a lot alike, you know, there's just, I think they need a little more visual pop in the characters themselves too. I kept calling that one doctor, Dr. Quentin Tarantino, though I enjoyed him <laughs> a lot. <laughs> But yeah, I think this is there. This is a very like good on paper show. I think yeah. for me, and there's just something that doesn't quite work about it. I think it would do really well right now. I think we could make something really interesting that is has a little more of the realism of ER and like the grittiness of like you know a a, a prestige show. Mm-hmm. Um, so it almost feels like like kind of like a victim of its time but i think it also is really interesting as a an element of this post-accident king which i think is what i think is the most interesting piece of it agreed the dark tower and the stephen king accident are the two like making it work worthwhile for a stephen king fan and just because of the end episode alone like you have to watch the whole thing because Mm -hmm. you have to get to this ending so as this constant reader i would say you'd have to watch this it's it's a important part of king's history yeah Yeah. well i am gonna finish it i have not yet so yeah y'all have talked me into it well have fun watching it on daily motion the worst (laughs) site on the internet and sorry Uh, it's totally spoiled for you but there you go oh no it's i mean it's it's about the journey it's about the journey (laughs) no but this is the thing i'm also you know as we're learning julia has very mental strict rules and twin peaks is actually i'm i'm very anti-spoiler um Mm. because when when twin peaks came out the killer was revealed I told people, I was like, oh, I'm never going to watch it. I didn't watch the show. I was like, just tell me who it is. They told me. And then I later wanted to watch the show and like fell in love with it. And I knew who it was the whole time. And I was like, oh, I never got to like experience it. Yeah. So I'm always it is very, a fun very. Re- it is a fun reveal. I remember being. Terminator too. Well, how far did you get in Twin Peaks, Jen? I got to the llama when the llama just walks through. So I think episode eight. I think Of so season I two? Eight. Or oh, season no, one? Season one. Yeah. You got to keep watching. Season two, you have I to know. muscle through some bits of it. But man. The just final, little, final episode I just said, of second season is best episode of television I've ever seen. Really? Yes. Better than Ozymandias, you would say. Yes. I do like that episode. But yeah. I just I just better. watch when I show it to people, I just show them the Laura Palmer story arc. Mm. So we just go through that and then we stop. And I'm like, because you're going to get to the Twin Peaks pageant. You're going to get to Billy Zane. You're going to get to all that. I'm like, nah. Billy Some Zane. of that stuff is, yeah, Billy Zane shows Ooh. up, but he, mm-hmm. unfortunately they, like there's so many bizarre choices uh, like in the latter half of season two, but man, it really comes together in my opinion. Uh, but like there's like there's like five of the most iconic shots I've ever seen are all in the finale of the second season. Um, but but anyways, uh, that's for another pod. This was so <laughs> much fun. Thank you both so much for joining me on the uh, this little Kingdom Hospital episode. It's been long promised, a bit overdue, but I really love sort of the takeaways that we had here. And I think it is an interesting little corner of the King universe. So, uh, Julia, anything you want to plug before we head out? Uh, you can always catch me on my other podcast, Horror Movie Survival Guide, where I talk about how you survive horror movies. I also have another podcast called Jodowowski that's all about the director Alejandro Jodorowsky. And we we're actually recording today on his 95th birthday. So happy nice. birthday wow. to Alejandro Jodorowsky. He's still making movies, you guys. You can still do it. Um, and then I have my Stephen King Dollar Baby. I know what you need. And if you would like to see it, just message me. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok as Julia C. Marchesi. And I would love you to see it. Yeah. Jen, anything you want to plug? 
Yeah. Well, if you like musical numbers, we are about to get to the musical number episode on the boys on the girls on the boys. So you can check that out uh, with fellow loser, Rachel Reeves. And you can also catch me on the lady killers podcast where um, we are in the middle of bad romance month and lots of fun lady killers there. Um, Follow me at Jim Frato and I'll post all of it. Yeah. And on losers club, uh, we have a couple books do we're doing next month we're doing win through the keyhole and joyland so uh start reading those because we're going to have some fun episodes on them and then uh and then we're also over on the patreon patreon.com slash the barons we are going to be diving speaking of these ew columns we're going to be diving back into his pop of king uh ew columns we're going through them year by year intermittently uh and i love our first episode and we're going to be diving into the year 2006 uh and all of his his columns from that year, which there is no greater time capsule, I think, than like Stephen King writing about 2005, 2006 pop culture. It is, it will, it will transport you. So it is so much fun to read though. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Let's sign off long days and, and pleasant, pleasant nights. Night. Night. Bye everyone. Well, I got some hot This is the end of our show, for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>